Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. We recently celebrated the feast of St. Maria Goretti, a young girl who fought off an attempted rape which enraged her attacker, causing him to stab her multiple times. She lived one more day and forgave her attacker before she died. On this episode, Bishop talks more about her story and also the story of her attacker, Alessandro Serenelli, who repented while in prison and, upon his release, worked as a gardener in a monastery for the rest of his life. St. Maria Goretti is now the patron saint of youth, so the show wraps up with some specific ways to teach the faith to younger people. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, here with our good bishop. Thanks for being here. You're welcome, Kyle. Today we're going to talk about a saint who is the patron saint of youth ministry. When you were a parish, or or a patron saint of youth, I should, should say, but when you were a parish priest, did you have a youth group? Yes, in all my parishes. When I was a associate pastor, I was in charge of the youth group. When hmm. I was a uh, pastor, I had a large youth group, but I had the associate be the, the chaplain or the okay. leader. What kind of things did your youth group do? We always tried to mix things up. There'd be uh, social activities, but also catechesis. There'd be retreats, um, service work, like we had a big soup kitchen, the parish and our youth worked at, we'd have them working at the parish festival. So it was a real variety. And I thought that was important that, um, and I think even today that youth groups are, you know, that there's a prayer component, there's a catechetical component, there's a service component. And there's just a serve. There's just a social fun component, right? I think right. bringing all that together makes for an effective youth group. I like that. I think that does sound like a good balance. Uh, so the patron of youth that mentioned is yesterday's feast day, Saint Maria Goretti, and I don't believe we've talked about her story before. Yeah, I don't remember, and and. She's one of the youngest people to be canonized a saint, so very, very inspiring. She was uh, just 11 going on 12 years old, I think, when she, uh, when she was killed, and um, very popular in Italy. And I remember I visited her shrine, the church where she is buried, because uh, it wasn't that far from Rome. It was maybe an hour by train away, and I would go there because uh, there was a beach. It's in Netuno. Netuno is where the Allies landed, Anzio and Netuno, uh, during World War II. So there's a big American cemetery there that I would visit too. But I used to like to go there just to go swimming on the beach. And this church where she's buried is right there on the beach. You know, I would go there and pray at her remains that were in the crypt of this basilica in Netuno, south of Rome. And... Um, you know, I'd go and spend a day at the beach, like on a day off sometimes, because uh-huh. it wasn't that far to get to. So that kind of helped me uh, learn more about St. Maria Goretti and, and have some devotion to her. Yeah. Her family was basically a um, very modest uh, farming family. They, uh, Her father died when she was nine, so they had to share a house with another family named the Serenellis. And Maria would stay in the house to do kind of household duties. 
And her mother and her brothers and sister would go out and work in the fields. And one day, uh, the 20-year-old son of the Serenellis, his name was Alessandro, made sexual advances to her. And she refused to submit. And he stabbed her 14 times. Uh, she was taken to the hospital. And while she was dying, she forgave him. He was arrested. He was convicted and put in jail. And while he was imprisoned, Alessandro repented. He was 27 years in prison. Then he was released. And he, when he was released, he went and visited Maria Goretti's mother to ask for forgiveness. And, uh, and she forgave him. Um, and then, interestingly, he became a brother in a monastery. Um, wow. He had been a murderer. So he had his conversion, and he was there with Maria Goretti's mother at the canonization in 1950 in St. Peter's Square, which was a huge throng of people because Maria Goretti had become quite popular throughout Italy and actually throughout the world. But I think it's a beautiful story. OSV, just a couple of years ago, put out a little book on Alessandro Serenelli and his... Uh, his conversion, and I think that's that's kind of a remarkable start part of the story. But Maria Goretti is kind of is called like the martyr of chastity. Mm -hmm. uh, she would not go along, even, and of course she suffered for it, and and she died. She uh, and she forgave Alessandro. So you can read more about that story. I'm sure there's there's a lot of you know there's some books and photographs and things about Maria Goretti and about Alessandro Serenelli. And um, she's a great model for young people as well. As a matter of fact, oftentimes, well, not often, sometimes girls uh, choose Maria Goretti as their confirmation name. So she, she still has uh, popularity today. She's a patron saint of rape victims, patron saint of chastity, of, of young people, especially teenage girls. And patron saint of forgiveness. If you're right. finding it hard to forgive somebody, be good to ask for her intercession. Yeah, and I wasn't aware of that book. You said it's from OSV about yes, about Alessandro Serenelli. Uh, yeah. I can't, you know, unfortunately, I can't remember the title, but it's it's a quick read. I mean, I I, I read it pretty quickly, and I know we did have it in the in the uh, Good Shepherd bookstore here in the Archbishop Knowles Center. Um, they probably still have copies available. Well, I think yeah, as amazing as her story is, I feel like his story is equally as amazing that I mean, what would compel you to, to be so violent that you would stab somebody that many times and, and killing them, you know, how you know, messed up he must've been, but then to find that healing and forgiveness and to be able to be at her canonization, uh, it's just amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, he grew up in a kind of a, a mess, messy family situation himself. He, mm. the family, he was kind of neglected. His father was an alcoholic. He had some of his brothers and relatives had mental illnesses. And I mean, that doesn't excuse his crime, obviously, right. but, but somehow God's grace, uh, touched his heart and, um, while he was in prison, um, at beginning he wasn't uh, wasn't repentant. Uh, repentant, mm -hmm. uh, but the bishop, the local bishop, visited him in jail, 
uh, it was like three years after after Maria Goretti's death. And that's kind of changed him a little bit. And he asked for the bishop's prayers. Um, and Alessandro, in a letter to the bishop, said he had a dream of Maria Goretti giving him lilies. And those lilies burned in his hands. Um, eventually, he would he started praying to for the intercession of Maria Goretti. And he would call her my little saint. So he grew in devotion to these, this young girl whom he had murdered. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Well, I mean, and then he became a brother of the Cap a Capuchin brother, Franciscan. And he lived in this monastery, worked there as a gardener, a receptionist until he died in 1970. And he was 87 years old. Well, and I think this is something that we can keep in mind, you know, no matter what we have done in the past, that there is mercy and forgiveness and second chances, but also for others that we may know or know of, and you might see in the news, these people that do horrible things, and you're just so happy that they're in jail, and or you know, maybe even you might be happy if they're sentenced to death, you know, but to realize, no, they are still, they still have dignity as being... Uh, a son or daughter of God, and that there is still a chance for repentance. And you know, that's an argument against the death penalty is that you're taking away the chance of reform. You know, if he would have been sentenced to death right away, you know, maybe yeah. he would have had that opportunity to to have that conversion. You know, and and, to, and nobody is outside the potential for conversion. You're absolutely right. I mean. I think this is a very good example of why why we shouldn't have the death penalty. Um, as a matter of fact, they were considering the death penalty at his trial. Mm -hmm. And you know what? why they didn't condemn him to death? Because Maria Goretti's mother, yeah. Maria Asunta, I'm sorry, Asunta, she pleaded for mercy yeah. for Alessandro. Imagine, and I know... Uh, victims' families today who have done that, who are so um, believe in the sanctity of life and respect for life and not wanting vengeance that right. will even testify for a different penalty, even though they're hurting so much uh, from the death of a loved one, but they they don't see the solution as as the killing of the uh, of the criminal. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about her being the patron saint of youth and what it means to have faith like a child. But if you have any questions for Bishop, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we'll talk more about youth and how we can maybe minister more to youth. Coming up here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. 
Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we've been talking about yesterday's patron saint, or yesterday's feast day, which is the Saint Maria Goretti, who is the patron saint of youth, among other things, as you mentioned earlier. And thought maybe we could talk a little bit about the importance of teaching the faith to young people and maybe you know, relying on St. Maria Grady's intercession as we're doing that. You talked about you know, youth ministry when you were a parish priest, uh, but I guess some of this comes back to the importance for us as parents to be the, the primary educators and not to just depend on the church and Catholic school or CCD to do it for us and like, hey, we're just here to, to raise them and keep them alive <laughs> like let, yeah. let, let the church take over that. What what challenge or advice would you have for parents for being that primary educator? Well, I think seeing the family as the domestic church, the church of the home. And uh, I know many, uh, many families that they really take that seriously, where they pray together as a family, where they, uh, the parents teach the children the faith, Bible stories, reflections, where it's just a part of everyday life. And teaching, you know, things like the commandments and living a moral life. And most importantly, the example of the parents, you know, mm -hmm. the, the importance of being loving parents, of spending time with their children, all of that. And where you see a lot of problems, I mean, my heart goes out to um, children. For example, when I had youth groups as a priest, you know, the young people who would come to us, some of them had wonderful home lives, but others had very difficult home lives. And I remember some of the kids who got into trouble, even though they were involved in the church, when they would go home, it was kind of different. If they had a parent who was abusive or neglectful or into drugs or an alcoholic, that does so much harm to children. So it's really an important responsibility, parenthood. And even we were just talking about Maria Goretti. I mean, she was she grew up in a loving family. Her now it was difficult because her father died when she was just nine years old, but her mother was a saintly woman. Mm -hmm. And look how she turned out. She she became a saint. Whereas Alessandro, he grew up in a really difficult home. And he ended up murdering Maria Goretti. So we see the effects of good parenting and the effects of bad parenting. Right. And but at the same time, you know parents can only do so much. And you see these families that have amazing parents who are so holy and they raise their kids right. And then they still are rebellious, you know, maybe, maybe for a time or maybe for the, the rest of their life. And, and maybe parents can blame themselves saying, I'm, you know, what did I do wrong? Or, or and right. ultimately the, uh, everybody has a choice, right? And yeah. we can't, right. we can't force anybody. We can't control anybody and, and we can only do our best. So any, advice, suggestions for a parent who's like, what do I do? My kid is, is not uh, living the faith like I had hoped. Yeah. You know, I, I and, and really parents shouldn't hopefully don't feel guilty about it. I mean, they love their children, but if they get on the wrong road and then they blame themselves. That's, you're right. I mean, everyone, once they become adults, you know, they make decisions for themselves. There is free will. One can grow up in a, in a very good home and still be tempted and get on the wrong track. But because of that foundation that they've received, hopefully they'll come and see the error of their ways, um, kind of like the prodigal son. Mm -hmm. um, 
And of course, parents should never reject their children, even if they get on a wrong path. They, they then, in a sense, suffer for and with their their adult children who are on the wrong path, and they continue, you know, hopefully continue to pray for them and give them a good example. And and uh, I think of Saint Monica and her prayers right. for her wayward son Augustine, and those um, those prayers were fruitful. But it comes a point where you just have to leave everything in God's hands mm-hmm. uh, and entrust your child to the Lord and uh, and His grace, but never give up on praying for them. And there's a couple different times in the Bible where Jesus says how important these children are, that we take care of them, but also that we, and I think this can be kind of confusing sometimes, that we're supposed to be more like children to have faith like a child or and and I've heard it clarified like that doesn't mean to have childlike faith like we don't act childish that right. is the clarification like we we shouldn't be immature but what what I don't know maybe you can kind of help break that down a little bit well there's p- two passages in Matthew's gospel I think would be good to to think about in chapter 18 beginning with verse 1 saint Matthew talks about the disciples approaching Jesus and asking him the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And if you remember, St. Matthew tells us that Jesus called a child over, placed it in their midst and said, amen, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one child such as this in my name receives me. I think this is a really important lesson. It's kind of a visual aid. They asked him about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus responds with kind of a living parable. He calls a child over. Okay, and he places this child in their midst. Now, think about this in the first century Jewish world. A child had low social status. Mm-hmm. A child wasn't held up as an example. Uh, a child was was subject to authority of of his or her elders, and wasn't someone that you're to follow their example. No, I mean that was so. It was kind of. Um, uh, a strange thing uh, for Jesus to do that. You know, children had no no rights, uh, very little social status. Certainly they didn't have power. They were dependent on others. And Jesus takes this child and, and, and says, um, he, he challenges them to turn away. He says, amen, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, turn away from your worldly views of greatness and humbly become like children, which means then you become insignificant according to the standards of the world. Right. So Jesus is, you know, if we want to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, we have to humble ourselves like that child. That's what Jesus says. And he, Jesus goes so far as to say that those who don't become humble like children won't enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, the fact is, um, you know, this is really important. I think for adults, the importance of humility, not to be seeking after status its or being filled with pride. No, to freely choose lowliness 
like Mary did or think about St. Joseph. That's greatness in the eyes of God. It's kind of like what Jesus said in his first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And children also are dependent. So we are to recognize our dependence on our heavenly father, just like children depend on their parents. So I think that message is is really important. Then maybe we could talk a little bit about another uh, in the next chapter, Matthew talks about children again, which I think is really interesting. Uh, chapter 19, verses 13 and 14. I'll read that. Then children were brought to Jesus that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not prevent them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Hmm. So you have these parents, okay, they're bringing their children to Jesus. Now you might say, well, why are they doing that? Are they sick or crippled? It doesn't say anything like that. It just says they're bringing their children for him to, to lay his hands on them. That was basically what a father would do. Uh, it's a gesture of a father blessing his children. So really it's kind of like for a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, you know, a blessing from the father in heaven. So it was kind of, it's kind of strange or surprising that the disciples rebuked the parents and turned them away. And I, you know, I was thinking, well, why did they do that? Maybe they thought, well, they're just, this is unworthy of Jesus's time. You know, like his time is precious. He doesn't have right. time for these kids. They're not, I mean, children are, again, they're second class citizens at that time. They're supposed to be out of the way, keep quiet, whatever. But no, Jesus is showing kindness to the children at the urging of their parents. And and he says, you know, to the disciples who were protesting, he says, let the children come to me. Don't prevent them. So they're not like bothersome. They're not a bother to the Lord. They're not a distraction. Obviously, Jesus' mission is to bring everyone into the into the kingdom. And that includes the youngest and the littlest, the smallest among us. So there's no age restriction. Jesus' love for children. And sometimes you may see that this passage is used when we talk about the baptism of infants. Mm. Uh, And even it's one of the choices that can be used, one of the gospels that can be read at a baptism. And I think it's a really good one because it shows that, um, that children are indeed eligible for baptism. I mean, Jesus welcomed children. Jesus blessed them. So we don't want children to be denied the grace of the sacrament of baptism. That's why in the Catholic Church, we have infant baptism. Mm -hmm. Not the only reason, but one of the reasons. Correct. So I guess in what ways would you challenge adults to think more childlike about their faith? Like, how can we be more like children like Jesus is asking us to be? It's all about trust and confidence in God. Humble trust. I think we can be reminded of St. Therese, the little flower, Mm -hmm. and her little way, the little way of St. Therese. I think that is a um, really great example for us of what what Jesus is talking about here, that we should, like children, 
have confidence in our Father in heaven and trust him, trust in his love like children do, and not be so filled with ourselves, but really putting our trust in the Lord and not in all kinds of other earthly things. Mm-hmm. And I guess for those that are, of us that are parents, you know, maybe Catholic school is taking a break for the summer. Maybe your CCD program is taking a break for the summer. Maybe youth group isn't doing a whole lot. This is an opportunity for us to, to step in and make sure that we're doing our jobs as parents of being that primary educator and sharing the faith with them. Any ideas, suggestions on things that we could or should do as families? Well, I talked about family prayer. You know, another thing that's neat to do is, um, well, obviously attending mass, even, mm-hmm. you know, maybe more than Sunday if possible, you know, as a family, maybe special feast days, certainly holy days, kind of following the liturgical calendar as a family. You know, you have, I know some families, they'll use the Advent calendar or mm-hmm. do some family activities during Lent, you know, celebrating in special ways, great feasts of the of the church. I would say celebrate the patron saints of your children their feast days. I think that's a really nice thing to do. Maybe have a little cake or something and you talk about the saint that's the patron of, of, of a child. I th- so there's a lot of different creative things out there, um, yeah. but it's just making the faith real and part of, of everyday life. And I'll mention, we went to, our parish was offering the uh, Gifted and Sent group had come to our parish Mm-hmm. And did a, a praise and worship, adoration night, a little talk, and kind of reluctantly took the kids and thinking they're just going to be a distraction to anybody else that's there trying to pray and everything. But I think it was really good for them to experience that. And, you know, my one son went to confession on his own, like not like it was just being offered and he just walked over there. Uh, they went up close to the the altar to pray and it was just powerful for me to see the kids just embracing this on their own and and kind of wow. stepping out of their comfort zone maybe as an introduction to this and i mean they get some of this at catholic school and you know we do things as a family but uh, just looking at you know, what is your parish offering that you could participate in or, you know what is something that you could do extra like just stop by the church when it's empty in the afternoon you know and or, or visiting another church and and kind of giving yourself a tour of it. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of opportunities for that as well that, you know, sometimes we just get caught up with everything else, the the sports, the activities, and kind of push that to the side. You know, I I agree. And and observing Sunday as the Lord's day. Sure. Not just going to mass, but the whole day. Right. The whole day. Um, I was talking to a young family, four or five kids, and they were doing a little family pilgrimage. Hmm. Um, and I thought, wow, that's a cool idea that together going to some shrine or, you know, you might say, well, how far away, um, you know, you could just look and say, okay, like here in our diocese, um, you know, going to the Basilica of the Sacred Heart at Notre Dame, which is so beautiful. Or I, I noticed like so many people in South Bend have never been to the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception in Fort Wayne. Mm-hmm. So I'll see families. I'll say, why don't you come down? Just spend a day. Bring your kids and, and visit uh, our cathedral. And then you can visit the Cathedral Museum. Make it a family day. And there are a couple who followed up on that. And they said, that was really neat that we got to do this. 
Uh, so there's, there's just a lot of things and people can be creative. And also, you know, as a family, maybe watching a good religious movie. Mm-hmm. Song of Bernadette, for example. I know that's an old movie. I'm probably revealing my age, but that that's <laughs> such a great movie. There's more contemporary movies like about St. Jose Sanchez del Rio for, for Greater Glory. Now, that might be a little too difficult for young children because it shows his his martyrdom, and that might mm-hmm. be a little traumatic. But for the kids who are old enough to watch that movie... Things like that. You, you probably do some of that, Kyle, right? Well, I keep hearing about The Chosen. I know that's something I need to oh, watch. Oh, yeah. It keeps getting recommended. Yeah, I've heard it's great. I only saw one episode, and I was, yeah, I, I would like to um, to watch that. Yeah. About, about Jesus, the life of Jesus. Also, on August 28th is the Diocesan World Youth Day. So, um, people might not be familiar we have these big World Youth Days that are international and the Pope's there, but on the years that there's not an international World Youth Day, there's also a diocesan, or there's an opportunity to, to have a diocesan World Youth Day. So this year, August 28th, will be the diocesan World Youth Day. Are you going to be part of that as well? Yes. Um, it's going to be at Headwaters Park in Fort Wayne. I'm going to be celebrating Mass, an outdoor Mass at 4 o'clock, um, Headwaters Park. And then later in the evening, we're going to have Adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, I think at 7.30. So this will be for all youth of the diocese. And there will be good music. There will be food. It, it should be really, uh, you know, very exciting. Very good event. I hope we have good weather. So, yeah, all the youth we invite. All right. And people can find information about that at diocesefwsb.org slash youth-conference. I guess maybe another thing you mentioned pilgrimages, you know, going to these different shrines or parishes or the cathedral. Also, I think the Diocesan Museum might be an interesting thing to check out. It's probably more geared towards adults, but uh, I think there's probably stuff that the kids would enjoy there as well. I actually have not been to the museum since it relocated. Oh, it's so much better. Uh, It's in the old chancery right next to the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. I highly recommend it. You know, this was uh, a work of Father Phil Whitman, who died Mm -hmm. a few months ago, and Father Phil was so devoted. He started the museum. He collected a lot of artifacts and historical things, and... um, one of his helpers, one of the docents who would be there is Kathy Imler, and I just uh, recently appointed her the new director of the museum, and she's doing a wonderful job. You can find the hours, I think, on um, the website. I think young people would enjoy it, too. You know, it is more geared to adults, but I think young people would, you know, you see some of these beautiful old vestments and, and uh, sacred items, chalices that are historic and beautiful. There's, there's various displays of former bishops and a lot of things about the, the uh, building of the cathedral. Just a lot of interesting things. And we've been expanding it room by room, you know, because we have a lot of things in storage that we would like to display. Of course, this takes some time and money, but, you know, bit by bit, we keep expanding it. So pretty much the whole first floor is now an area for for exhibits. And Kathy and and others who help her, they're wonderful guys. I mean, you can just walk around yourself and see Mm -hmm. it, but if you have questions or or whatever, you can ask, ask them. It's really a nice little museum. 
All right, great. I, I think we'll put that on our to-do list for the summer as well. Uh, and one thing before we go, you mentioned the book on Alessandro Serenelli, and it's just called that, Alessandro Serenelli, A Story of Forgiveness. The author is Charles D. Engel, and it's available from the OSV Catholic Bookstore. Like you said, you if Good Shepherd doesn't have it, I'm sure they could order it for you. Any other local Catholic bookstore, it's always great to support them. Uh, but it's Alessandro Serenelli, A Story of Forgiveness. And it's just looking at the cover, it has this old man who's planting a flower, like doing like some gardening, who I assume is Alessandro Serenelli, like this calm, peaceful older man. It's just I, I, such a powerful story. So really is Definitely something people want to check out all right well thank you so much bishop for another great episode of truth and charity a reminder we'll put links to all of the events and books that we mentioned in the show notes that you can find at redeemerradio.com slash ask bishop or if you're listening to this on podcast it'll be in the show notes in your podcast app uh, if you have any questions for bishop you can text the holy cross college text line at 260-436-9598 and before we go could we get your episcopal blessing Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Take care. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.